Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of The Washington Post and Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine. Alyssa, Peter, how are you today? I'm dandy. I'm thrilled to be talking about movies with friends. First up in controversies and non-troversies, Paul Schrader is being muzzled by Focus Features. The legendary Oscar-nominated writer-director of First Reformed and the writer of Taxi Driver uh, has been asked to zip it by Focus Features, the distributor of his latest movie, The Card Counter. That film, starring Oscar Isaac, hopes to be an Oscar t- contender, meaning the stakes are quite high beyond the normal millions of dollars at the box office. Um, this is why Focus has ordered Schrader to stay off Facebook for the foreseeable future. Yes, his posts there have uh, flown a bit under the radar because... Well, it's Facebook and not Twitter, and that's where most journalists and cancel culture enthusiasts spend their days. Uh, But, you know, better safe than sorry. Here's what Schrader had to say. Quote, got a message from Focus, who was releasing Card Counter to back away from social media because anyone can get offended with or without reason by anything you might say. It's their sport. Uh, The only message that is offense proof is silence. So goodbye for now, end quote. On the one hand, I kind of get it. Here's Schrader's uh, last post, for instance, in all caps, quote, In your mind, who are the three hottest, most talented Asian, parentheses, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, in that order, end parentheses, actresses age 30 to 35 now working, end quote. Um, And a couple of days before that, uh, he he wrote, quote, I thought history was written by the winners, not the whiners, end quote. You know, this is where you can see how he earns the big bucks as a a movie writer. Um, But but Schrader is uh, kind of wrong here, actually. The winner, uh, the whiners do actually get to write the current history, and that's why Focus is so scared, which again, I get, I get it. Um, But I'm also, frankly, kind of disgusted by their complete willingness to, uh, their, their complete unwillingness to stand by an artist because he sometimes posts slightly risque things on Facebook. I mean, you're, we're talking here about the guy who made hardcore a, and wrote transcendental style in film, Ozu, Bresson, and Dreyer. He's a little bit esoteric in his choice of posting topics. He's, he's a real poster, folks. He's a poster. Um, but, you know, of course, in this day and age, we all have to clutch our pearls about it. Uh, the, the issue here is not so much why doesn't Focus want to defend any of these things? It's more that they're not just uh, willing to say, who cares what he posts on Facebook? The movie we're releasing is the only thing that matters to us, and leave it at that. Um, Alyssa, given the incredible volume of controversial posts by Schrader that are already out there anyway, is there any real positive to Focus doing this now? What's sort of amazing to me about this is it's not as if the change in sort of national or at least very online Twitter film people mood is new, right? And so it is bizarre to me, even if this project started shooting five years ago, I don't understand how studios at this point don't have detailed social media clauses written into the contracts of everyone they go into business with, right? Like, it's not like it's hard to find out who Paul Schrader is or sort of how his brain works or what he's interested in. And that's true of basically anyone who works in any creative industry today. So how has there, how have there not been sort of internal company deliberations about what works for the company and what doesn't and how they want folks to approach social media? I just, you know, for an industry that specializes in sort of messaging and speaking to the public, they're all just astonishingly bad at thinking through how any of this would work. And maybe that just reflects an anxiety about the fact that this is an industry that has been totally transformed by social media, where the notion of celebrity has been totally transformed by social media, and folks are sort of reluctant to 
acknowledged that, you know, a random influencer can sell as many units of whatever product as Jennifer Aniston can sell smart water. But like, how do you not sit down and think through what you want social media policies to be as part of your contractual agreements with people to whom you're giving millions of dollars to make projects? It just, anything that the studios do sort of retroactively like this strikes me as such incredible corporate ass covering that I have a hard time taking any of it seriously. Yeah, and, and part of the issue here is that, so the card counter is an independent feature. It was, you know, it was financed and and produced outside of Focus. Focus picked it up to distribute it. So, like, they, I would say, I would, you know, I would guess they didn't really have much uh, uh, to say while he was making it. But he has been, like, he's this movie's been attached to Focus for, I don't know, the better part of a year yeah, now. Like, um, and he has been posting this whole time. It's not again, like, like, it's not it's like a, there's, yeah, you're I mean, right. it's not like this was something that, you know, it's not like this is like the Irishman, right? <laughs> like the financiers for the Irishman being like, oh, we suddenly like a billion years into this process don't like what Martin Scorsese is saying about whatever on Twitter, right? Like, if He's this wrong is about the Marvel movies. Sign- ah, we can't have that. <laughs> Stirred up controversy about superheroes. Right. But this is, I mean, if this is a distribution contract that was signed a year ago, like the internet and the way people behave on it and react to it is not substantially different now than it was a year ago, except for the fact that some of the things that drive people bananas are different. Like, just, if you care about this, write it into the contracts. Like, just do it in advance. And also, like, an intern with Google could have gone on the internet and been like, you know, this Paul Schrader guy has some kind of wild stuff on Facebook. Like, what do we think about that, right? Like, this, this is so easy that the inability of companies to do this or think about it in advance is just such an industry-wide embarrassment. So I think it's actually difficult to figure out how to write this into contracts except to say you can't use social media unless you are promoting the film in a very conventional way, right? There's not, because, because there is... I mean, it's it's terrible, but it's completely true that the the piece of advice he was given here, which was, we don't know what's going to offend people. We literally have no idea. It could be literally anything. And so, so, also, so there's not I mean, like a there's not a way to write a contract that says you can't post anything offensive. And here's all the list, right? There's not a list of offensive terms. That's, that's As you said true, a year I mean, ago, it, the the list would be different. And if they signed it a year ago, I mean, right? So, th- so I sort of seems to me that that if they ended up doing this contractually, then the rule would be social media is exclusively for generic promotional statements of the sort that you would give as a at a studio junket. And nothing else. And that might be an okay rule, but the rule would be pretty stifling and pretty muzzling. Now, I, I'm not opposed I mean, to, to corporations saying, look, that's the terms of working with us. You get our money and we require you to basically turn your social media accounts into promotional accounts for the work that we are funding. But that's what I they would have to do. There's an interim step. I mean, you could ask for you know, an hour's notice before you post anything. Like, you could, I mean, you could do stuff that would at least give your publicity department, like, a chance to be like, well, Paul Schrader's going to be added again I mean, in two do, hours. Do, like, who wants to be the the account manager for Paul Schrader's shitposting, though, right? And, and like, that's a, that's, a, that's a weird and difficult job because I'm sure if he's 
saying this stuff online and if he's posting that he's getting this um getting this feedback he's he, he just doesn't seem like a super easygoing guy about this sort of thing and you end up in the situation that I, I i recall reading a story and i could be getting this i could be getting a bunch of details wrong here so let's not take this as as journalistic fact but, but there was, it it was anyway. something like when Hillary Clinton was running for president, every time she tweeted, it had to go through 27 staffers or something like that, right? And it was, I, I could be, oh, yeah. the, the number was wrong, and I'm pretty sure it was Hillary Clinton, though. And you, if you're going to be vetting every single thing that Paul Schrader says on Facebook or Twitter, then you end up doing, having to have that kind of process in place for every artist who might be saying something, wait, is yeah. this person going to be offending this group today? What are the rules? Anyway, okay. I, Alyssa, can I can I can I just clarify one thing? Are you saying that uh, Paul Schrader should run his tweets by the Focus Publicity Department ahead of time, or or Facebook posts bef- through the Focus Publicity Department ahead of time, or that he should just uh, ping them and be like, "Hey, I'm going to post something." I was going to say the minute. former. Like at least, I mean, don't screw over your press people, right? So it's like they have an hour to be like, "Well, Paul Schrader's going to be at it again about the Asians." Like so they, you know, so they can it. I mean, I think that's sort of an interim space that's maybe a courtesy thing, right? It's like, look, we're going to, we will let you shitpost all you want, but at least like do our PR folks the favor of like being able to just know what's coming so nobody's surprised, right? Like, I, I, I mean, again, I, I would just counter all of this by saying, wouldn't a better rule be for Focus to say it doesn't matter what he puts on Facebook? We're not the boss of his what? Facebook account. We are. We have nothing <laughs> to do with that. And it, nobody, frankly, none of you people should care. You should care about this movie that we're putting out. This is the thing. And uh, you know, people who are getting going to get all hot and bothered and start grabbing their pearls. Oh, this guy's allowed no, to say whatever he wants on social media on while also making a movie. Like, good luck with that policy, Sonny. <laughs> what, what, yeah, what, what? I mean, I would argue it's like that. <laughs> it should be the policy. This should be the policy. I would argue that what I'm suggesting is not so much a matter of like vetting or of even of putting focus in the position of having to sort of decide what it's going to defend and what it's not. It's just sort of a professional courtesy, right? It's like, look, yes, the world is such that people will get mad no matter what you say. Um, and you should see some of the pitches that end up in my inbox. People can find ways to be mad about everything. But, you know, I try as a general rule, because, like, I try to be a polite person. You know, if I am going to write something that's going to cause a lot of blowback on the internet or that might be, you know, get my editors, you know, like, a bunch of letters— like, I try to let people know because I'm a decent human being. And I'm someone who, unlike Paul Schrader, has actually paid for my political opinions. Um, but, you know, I don't want anyone to be surprised or feel screwed over either personally or professionally. And there is a world in which you can ask people like, hey, you're artists. We respect your vision. All we ask is that you don't surprise us. So, Alyssa, I— You are a decent and courteous person who treats your colleagues with respect. But one difference here is that they are your staff colleagues who you have an ongoing relationship with, right? You're a you're a staff uh, editor, right? Columnist. uh, Apologies if I you're you're you are a staffer at the at the Washington Post opinion section. And Paul Schrader is not a staffer with these organizations. He is taking their money for projects. And so I think the question here to me is: when you buy a Paul Schrader film. If you are a distributor or or if you are a backer of the production, you know, what is it that you're buying? 
are you buying just that script and then the the output of the of 30 days or 17 days of filming and whatever gets edited out of that uh, right like is that what you're buying or are you buying Paul Schrader the media persona for some period of time and i think those are questions that can be solved through contracts right but what we've not done so far is, for the most part, solve those things through contracts. Now, look, the, it's not uncommon. Uh, I mean, it's going back decades for for stars and for directors, for big name talent to have uh, morals clauses, to have kind of PR clauses. You can't disparage the work, uh, that sort of thing. But now in our in, in sort of in the age where everybody has access to a huge megaphone all the time, um, it's become more complicated because these things have become more expansive. And I just think that eventually, I, like Alyssa, I think you're kind of right that this sort of thing can be solved through through contractual negotiation. I just or, think that that's what the result is. decent professional norms. Yes, to some extent, professional norms. But professional norms are just going to be really hard to navigate amongst uh, a, a very uh, – a, a very difficult group of people like Paul Schrader's just seems like a, like I love his movies. He does not seem like somebody who's like really just gentle and collegial. Um, and I think sure, that's how he I gets think- his gets great, uh, you know, makes great movies. Um, but there's just going to be like a lot of really big personalities. And these people are not going to this is you, you call them collegial norms. And I agree those are important. They work really well when you have colleagues. But in the film industry, a lot of this is one-off kind of contractual work. And, you know, it's not normal, for example, for, I don't know the Washington Post policy, but um, it's not normal for for organizations that are, say, paying a freelancer for a one-off piece to have a complicated social media policy around that piece. Now, a good freelancer might say, hey, editor, I got this feedback or I'm going to tweet this and you might sort of, and that would be a good way to make, to, to, uh, to, to make, to have a good relationship with your editor, right? That's a, that would be a a reasonable thing to do, but it's, it's not done normally because that is a, that is a big extra layer of management and administration and sort of thinking about like, oh, we're not just getting this 900 word op-ed from this person. We're also in some sense, buying and taking some amount of responsibility for everything they tweet or post on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram for whatever period of time. Is it forever? Is it a month? Is it right? And like these questions just sort of I I don't think they're I don't think it's super obvious how to figure out how to navigate this. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I don't feel responsible for everything every freelancer I work with says on the internet. That said, I mean, if I know that someone has a reputation for being really sort of mercurial or indiscreet on social media, I'll probably be less inclined to work with them. Um, and I also just want to say, I mean, I think there is, Hollywood has really thrived under, an ex- under <sighs> Hollywood has long made excuses for the idea that there shouldn't be sort of professional norms or accepted standards of decency because people are creative and need freedom, not just to pursue sort of ideas and their vision, but to be sort of free from social constraints and norms. And that has had some really devastating consequences for the industry. And I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not saying Paul Schrader being an idiot on Facebook um, is even remotely morally equivalent to everything Harvey Weinstein did. But I think it is always worth you know, just doing a little bit of an emotional check-in and saying, like, 
is being an asshole really necessary to the work? Is being unprofessional really necessary to the work? And I would argue that in long-term collaborative freelance situations like movie making, collegiality is actually even more important than it is in established employment relationships because these are contingent relationships. They are not built on long-term trust and understanding of other people. Um, They involve a lot of people who are quite vulnerable, in fact. And to a certain extent, you know, given those, you know, necessary elements to the work, the standards for being a decent human being should actually be higher um, because there is less room, you know, there are fewer formal HR processes. There are, you know, there is less room for sort of nuance and understanding someone's tone over time. There is less of a long-term commitment to each other. And so the standards actually should be higher. I so I mean I I I I agree with that to a certain extent, but I, I do feel like we are almost talking past each other just a little bit here because again I I don't think I do not think Paul Schrader's Facebook post should be considered in under the scope of the sure. work right that I I just don't I don't think that. I don't think that we benefit as a society from asking every corporation to be on the hook for everything that every person that works for them puts out on social media. I just think that's so I, I think that's an unhealthy way to live. And like and it's different. I understand that it's different because Paul Schrader, you know, this could be an Oscar contending movie, which brings a whole different level of scrutiny, et cetera, et cetera. But I really just think that we would be better off as a society for having a a pretty a pretty strict separation between these two worlds of saying like what a guy does on his personal time in his in his own personal space is one thing and if he's like on if he's like on the set of the movie saying hey who are the hottest asian <laughs> chicks somebody get me a list of hot asian broads i need them right now like i i like that would be different that's a different that's a different issue that would be a different thing how about uh, as entirely. a compromise but like, we shut you know, down twitter and facebook Yes, finally, we, don't we need nailed to shut them it. Down. That's we just the need solution to, to get off of them. No, so I, I actually, I actually figure out what's going think on. That in some sense, when a when a studio or distributor or backer of some sort says, "Look, dude, you have to quiet down on the social medias," what they are doing is attempting to defend the art, right? Not. Like they're, what they're trying to do is make sure that that's what people pay attention to. And there is, you know, in some sense, I, I think they own Paul Schrader's political opinions, whether they want to or not, because nobody would care about them if he wasn't Paul Schrader, the guy who gets millions of dollars every couple of years to make movies. And the people who give him those millions of dollars have every right if they want to. Um, they don't. I'm certainly not saying it's it's a, uh, mandatory or that they even should. But if they want to say, look, our millions for your script and your direction are contingent on you staying the heck off of Facebook, then that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. And look, there there's some wisdom in staying off of social media. And also, as much as I I think like Paul Schrader should be allowed to say stuff on social media, and we shouldn't worry about it too much. He makes movies for a living. He gets millions of dollars. I mean, even a small budget film is is a seven-figure investment for the most part. Um, does he really need to spout off his political opinions on Facebook as well? Like, that's, that's a, that is, in some sense, he is free-riding on the, the millions of dollars that people have invested in his movies, because if he wasn't Paul Schrader movie maker, then nobody would care what he was saying on Facebook. 
if he wasn't Paul Schrader movie maker, he wouldn't be able to make the movies. I mean, again, it's like it's not like he was on Facebook in the 1970s and 80s when he was know, making maybe the, Taxi Driver maybe, and Hardcore. Maybe he was like, working I, with the Time Variance Authority. It's possible. <laughs> Stop mentioning the Time Variance Authority. You have to you have to knock that off. All right. Uh, so what do we think? Is it a controversy or a non-troversy that Focus Features has silenced the great Paul Schrader? Uh, Peter. It's controversial. Alyssa. Uh, it is uh, it is both a controversy that he's on Facebook at all. Get off Facebook, Paul Schrader. You're better than that. Uh, and it's a controversy that Focus is silencing him. If the great Paul Schrader wants to be on Facebook being a crazy old man, he should be allowed to do it. Go, Paul Schrader. Uh, all right. If you enjoy the show and who doesn't, it's great. Make sure to head over to atma.thebulwark.com where we'll have a bonus members-only episode about dad movies or movies about dads or maybe great movie dads, something along those lines anyway, uh, all to celebrate Father's Day. And we went a little bit long on controversies and controversies because the main event, I think, is going to be a little bit short today. Uh, the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Every once in a while, I like to review a sequel <laughs> to a movie I haven't seen just to see how high the concept actually is. For instance, in a movie like this, the only thing I should really need to know going into it is the title. Um, this is a movie about a man who is bodyguarding the wife of a hitman, yes? Well, no, actually. Uh, there's there's a scene where he does play uh, her bodyguard, but it's a ruse. It's just a ruse. Really, the wife, who is played by Salma Hayek, uh, has shanghaied the bodyguard, Ryan Reynolds, to rescue the hitman, Samuel L. Jackson, from the Italian mafia, notably not no, uh, mentioned in the title. Um, and that's just part of their misadventures. The Greek tycoon, played by Antonio Banderas, wants to destroy the European uh, infrastructure as revenge for the EU's punitive policies towards Greece, an incredible pre-pandemic subplot uh, that has aged remarkably well in the shutdown uh, interregnum we've all lived through. Uh, to stop him, Interpol agent Frank Grillo must get the titular trio to take him down. Um, on the one hand, this movie is not very good. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't occasionally chuckle. Ryan Reynolds, uh, there's, this one, there's this one very funny part where Ryan Reynolds does this pantomime that I won't spoil for the listeners, just in the off chance don't, that you go see this movie. Don't go see um, this movie. While Samuel L. Jackson is on the phone. And I, 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 and I just, I just like, I find Ryan Reynolds deeply amusing. And you'll notice I didn't name any characters here because really we're all going to see this for Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Salma Hayek and Antonio Banderas. This is a high concept, star driven movie, but it is sadly on the whole, not very funny. Uh, and the action is again, on the whole, not that exciting. Lots of CGI explosions, just kind of looking fake all over the place. Uh, movie theaters need this sort of high concept programmer to work as filler between the pet po the tent poles. So it's a bad sign that this pulled in a pretty disappointing B from CinemaScore and a relatively soft $11.7 million three-day weekend, although the five-day numbers are slightly better at $17 million, but like still not great. It's 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 going to do okay, I guess. It's, it's not going to be a big hit. Um, that said, on the other hand, it is better than In the Heights, right, Peter? In fact, when Alyssa and I walked out of this movie... The first thing I asked Alyssa was, do you think Sonny would rather watch this or In the Heights? Oh, this a million times. <laughs> this this 10 times out of 10. I would definitely rather watch In the Heights or at least a condensed version of it. This movie was so bad. I I don't, I, I admit I chuckled maybe once or twice, like uh, sort of involuntarily in the way that like you laugh when something, somebody's like trying so hard and eventually you're like, okay, I, here's a pity laugh. 
But that's all this movie deserves is pity because this is both, this movie manages to be both incredibly lazy, like there's not any kind of inventive gags or anything that's clever or particularly interesting about it, and also trying way too hard. So at every moment, this movie kind of knows that it's not working and assumes that you're bored and then just uh, tags every scene with some sort of some sort of interruption, some sort of like scream fest, like a, a, a very lazy, you know, sort of like, oh, here's a clever insult back and forth, right? And at no point does it ever actually sort of connect and engage at all. I just I just wanted to get up and leave throughout this entire movie. And I like bad action movies. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person who at 1 a.m., if I cannot sleep, what I do is I turn on bad action movies intentionally like if i don't even i don't want to watch something good i want to watch at most something of like patrick swayze roadhouse quality which is a very good bad movie but like really i want to watch something much worse than that i want to watch like a paul ws anderson mortal Kombat movie right and so this is the sort of movie that in theory i kind of like oh i i can appreciate its charms no, it's not charming at all this is the move this is the, this is a movie that is aggressively like just unappealing in every way. And I like the actors. I like this sort of, uh, this sort of vibe. There's just not much to it. Um, none of the action scenes are remotely engaging or interesting. Can you remember like terrible. a great shot all or, terrible. or like even, or like something that happens. Like there's, there's one scene where like some dudes are kind of dressed the same or something like they're shooting. I don't like, but it's just <laughs> that, like that's, that's the only thing I could describe. I saw this movie yesterday and that is the only thing I can describe to you about the action. Is there, a, is there even, a line or exchange that stands out in your memory. This movie is just so indistinct and unmemorable. This is, it's, it is one of the worst things I have seen in a very, very long time. Had you seen the original? No, I hadn't, you seen, hadn't the seen the original. original. Because had, had, I got the same the vibe original? from the yeah. original. Which the original was also a, looked kind of terrible. A, and it's the same director. And I got the, the vibe from the original was that it was a completely disposable movie. And this is, this is, the most disposable, least necessary film I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa, I assume you loved it. Um, I think the only thing that I loved about it is that it proves that cancel culture is still limited in its power. Because part of what's fascinating about this movie is it feels like something that was made in the late 90s. Just like, some Hayek's entire character is like, I'm Mexican and baby crazy. Like, there's literally a line about, like, how Mexican she sounds at one point. Like, oh, oh and extremely violent. Well, because like, she was supposed top. to be play-acting as a British person in for whatever reason in that club scene, which, again, I could not describe the preceding events or the events that followed it because nothing in this movie seems to follow from any event or that happens, right? Yeah. Don't don't forget also that she's hot. That's the yes. other thing that yes. we have there to remember is, there, that she she there has. There is a scene a, where she like strips down to a long line bra, bra to like distract a bunch of henchmen, and it's effective, right? Like, I mean, it is the kind of thing that's like I just sort of sat there was like, this is amazing. Like, you know, theoretically, you know, everything's PC now, and you can't say stuff, and yet this movie, this movie, and in particular, Hayek's character in this movie exists and was funded, you know, at like millions of dollars and is being Tens released in theaters. And like, dollars. 
yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so awful. Um, and it's not even like engagingly awful, right? Like I am pregnant and I have to get up and go to the bathroom a lot in the middle of screenings. And this is a movie where I just felt like I missed absolutely nothing every time I did that. Like I, so it was like, it was like an opportunity to leave. It was great. And that's, that's basically my feeling about this movie is like, it was just wonderful to have an excuse to leave like three times in the middle of the screen. So uh, did you guys notice that Gary Oldman is in this film? He's credited. Well, he was the villain in the first one. I don't think he's actually. I don't think he actually has any scenes in. He's in he's credited in the cast list somehow or another. Yeah, he's credited on IMDb, but he definitely was not in the movie in any in any significant way. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a bad movie. It's a bad like this is this is the thing is that it is just a bad bad movie. And I I, I again I like all of these people. I like Ryan Reynolds who has a tendency to like pick bad movies and can still sometimes be pretty good in them. I can't remember if you guys like Six Underground or not, but I I uh, no. <laughs> I I remember enjoying that quite a bit. Mostly again for him. That's um, a much and- more enjoyable bad movie because even though it's pretty terrible there's something going on and there's an attempt to actually engage the viewer that i won't say it works but it seems like there's actually like it's michael bay doing like weird magnet stuff and i'm okay with that this movie is sort of like it's like aggressively and insultingly stupid right i mean the whole plot is theoretically kicked off by you know crippling eu sanctions on greece First, Greece's economy has always been sort of catastrophic and terrible. Second, Greece is an EU member country, right? Like, and I realize this is not the sort of thing that most people watching this movie are going to think or care about, but it shows just like such a basic lack of interest in anything, right? I mean, it literally reads like a script where someone was like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to like cut myself off from the world for a year. I'm going to like ban myself the use of Google. I'm deliberately not going to check everything. And I'm just going to like write whatever comes into my head. Right? Like I I just, it's so, it feels like the product of an almost deliberate sloppiness. Right? And there are opportunities for it to be funny. Right? Like they go to the Italian villa and, you know, you, you're about to meet Ryan Reynolds' character's dad, who's supposed to be this legendary bodyguard. And the obvious joke should be that it's Kevin Costner, right? Like it should because be because like of a, the movie The Bodyguard. The bodyguard. Yeah. And then it's Morgan Freeman, which they do for some re- like for some. It's funny reason. because he's black. <laughs> but that's literally, literally that's the level of humor, humor that this movie is operating on. Yes. I mean, I'm like I, I'm being sarcastic here, people. I'm not saying I'm not explaining why it's funny. I'm just saying that like the whole joke is predicated on Samuel L. Jackson saying like he's but he's black and you're white, and then yeah. and then it like is explained away with yeah he's my stepdad. Like yeah. it's the it's the worst. It's just the worst. Yeah, I and really so- was upset that this movie was built around the main character's desire to get his occupational license back. (laughs) And and occupational licensing is bad uh, like for like casket makers when it stops monks from making caskets. And it's also bad um, for Hitman. And he should, and like the best part of the movie was when Samuel L. Jackson was like, hey man, it's okay that you don't have an occupational license to be a hitman. You should be like, I can't remember exactly what the line was, but it was like, uh, I don't give an F that there's no, that I don't have a license. And he had to like repeat it several times. And finally he did it, yelled it. And he, and he like, 
he was happy with himself, who he was without a certificate from an occupational licensing body. And then at the end, he gets his, his license back. And it's like, you've just, you've sold out everything that was good about this movie. The one thing that I liked was that it was about how people can do jobs without professional licensing. Yeah. yeah, I I would say uh, that 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 is like again, it's kind of a funny idea. There's a kernel of an idea there, except and I, I wasn't 100 percent sure if this was something I had missed by not seeing the first one. If there's a whole explanation about who is doing the regulating of the bodyguard industry, if this is like if you're if you're cast out by this private organization, does the government like arrest you if you try to bodyguard i didn't it wasn't wasn't 100 percent clear to me what was what was what was going on there but again this might be my own fault for not having seen the original i don't know guys uh it's also they have like frank grillo playing this interval agent who's like really upset that he's not back in boston and the joke that they make that's like he misses boston is like they don't have sam adams in the bars in europe right like you can't even like make him have a bad Boston accent or like wear a Red Sox cap or something. Like, I mean, that's it's just the main so thing lazy. that Boston cops care about is Sam Adams in the bars. <laughs> I, I I do wonder how much Sam Adams paid for that. To, you know, two years ago, when uh, they, I've got to drink Peroni. I've got I've got a I've, uh, we're gonna have this cop from Boston. He, he's gonna like Sam Adams. You want to give us like a hundred grand for that? Uh, sure. Why, why not? <laughs> But they, they, um, okay, again, that would have been funny if they'd had him drinking a, you know, like a a, a Negroni or like a, a spritz of, right? Like if they'd had him awful, drinking yeah. sort of weird traditional European drinks and it's just a throwaway because Sam Adams, Boston. If, I mean, also if this the had character. been a movie that was both about the evil to occupational licensing and about like weird Italian, like, Spirits. This would have been Peter's favorite movie. Yeah, of all that's time. correct. Even if it had been terrible, it uh, it, it does. It is the, the the whole Frank Grillo subplot. It feels like weirdly tacked on because it's clear that at some point they were like, okay, how do we get them to the Greek tycoons <laughs> whose name is Aristotle? How do we get him? <laughs> how do we get them all to Aristotle's house? How do we do? How do we? How do we make that happen? And they were like, uh, Interpol. Oh, sure. Darts. Why not? Darts. All right, so what What do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on the the uh, hitman's wife's bodyguard? Peter. Uh, you're going to be surprised, but I hated this movie. Thumbs down. <laughs> Alyssa. This movie was so bad that it made me wish that uh, cities would reimpose occupancy limits on theaters so fewer people would be able to see this. Uh, thumbs down. It's a bad movie, sadly. I Again, I, I did laugh once or twice, which is probably says more about me than the movie itself. Um, all right, that is it for today's show. If you loved it, uh, make sure to check out our members-only bonus episode on dad movies. Uh, and make sure to tell your friends. A strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. And if we don't grow, we'll die. If you did not love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. I will convince you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week. Hey.